The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. It's not a word we use frequently these days, but it so wonderfully expresses the frustration, anger, and emotion in our society. The word is vex, as in how vexed we feel about today's depressing news headlines and the growing insanity all around us. Vex, or to be vexed, is such a descriptive word that Shakespeare used it more than 50 times in his plays. And we're not the only ones who are vexed. God himself is thoroughly vexed by the behavior of this world. On today's show, I've got some strong opinions to help me vent my vexation. Or as Shakespeare put it in Act 5, Scene 1 of Titus Andronicus, "'Twill vex thy soul to hear what I shall speak." Hello, I'm Christine Darg. I've been meditating on the subject of being vexed, irritated, and oppressed by the news and the perilous times in which we're living. On the one hand, we have the greatest opportunities ever to share the gospel, but at the same time, darkness and opposition are increasing. Yet believers in the Lord Jesus are always called to rejoice. We have to praise the Lord that there's still a remnant of people who fear and serve Him. And they're happy and content people, owing entirely to the Lord's grace. On the other hand, the Bible says that Abraham's nephew Lot was continually vexed and sickened by the shameful immorality of the lawless, unprincipled men of his day. The Bible says that Lot was oppressed and vexed. Let's look at solutions offered in the Bible for living in grace in this season of increased lawlessness. In these perilous days, we'll have to be very careful to cultivate a revival atmosphere and to maintain our joy of the Lord, which is our supernatural strength. Otherwise, we can easily be overtaken by a spirit of vexation because of the downward spiral and apostasy of our times. And there's a lot to be vexed about. For example, Satanists in the Los Angeles area constructed a giant pentagram to raise awareness for Satanism, while crosses and monuments to the Ten Commandments are constantly challenged or dismantled. The Center for Disease Control says that there are 20 million new cases of sexually transmitted diseases just in America each year. And our young people are being corrupted at younger and younger ages all over the world. It's endemic. In fact, I read a headline about a, quote, sexy school teacher who got pregnant by a boy who was just 13 years old. It's a scandal that very few churches teach about the concept of sin, about the necessity of keeping God's commandments, and the demand for holiness, and the consequences of eternal judgment. And as a result, many people in the churches are behaving just as wild and crazy as people in the world. 
Many of us were shocked by the stage show at a recent women's conference hosted by a very well-known church in New York City, where the youth pastor was on stage dressed up to mimic the naked cowboy, a character who parades himself naked in Times Square. The youth pastor was wearing a cowboy hat, cowboy boots, and a guitar to cover up his front, although he was wearing briefs. But as my friend Dr. Michael Brown wrote sarcastically, hey, after all, what's wrong with that? We don't want to get religious now, do we? What's wrong with a youth pastor standing on stage in his underwear during a women's conference? The sarcasm was fully intended. There's also a picture going around Facebook that's hilarious, even if it weren't so profoundly disturbing. The gag shows side-by-side -side photos of two American presidents, Presidents Kennedy and Obama. And the caption says, In May 1961, President John F. Kennedy announced that we would put men on the moon. In May 2016, Barack Obama announced that we would put men in women's bathrooms. Well, it's vexing this spirit of vexation that we must fight and resist in order to maintain our sanity and joy can be very draining. In fact, I'm going to share with you from the Word of God that it can even be life-shortening. I'm sure if you're like me, trying to run a business or a ministry or raise a family, in the increasing chaos and lawlessness of our times, we need more wisdom, more grace, and strategy from the Lord. I've been meditating on a passage from 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 7 and 8, how a relative of Abraham named Lot was a man who was considered righteous by God. Lot had God's approval. The story of Lot and how he was rescued from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is told in chapter 19 of the book of Genesis in the Torah. And when you read the story in the Old Testament, you don't necessarily get a picture of Lot being the most righteous man. And on the surface, he seemed to be living a life of compromise by moving into Sodom. But over here in the New Testament, we find the Holy Spirit's opinion and testimony concerning Lot. It says that Lot was a just man and a godly man. So this teaches us not to be so quick to judge. In fact, Judgment Day will bring many unexpected disclosures. It's often said that we'll be surprised who we meet in heaven and also who's conspicuously absent from heaven. But the testimony of Scripture reveals Lot's true state in the sight of God. Lot is described as just or righteous. He was in right standing with God. He managed to preserve himself uncontaminated from the surrounding wickedness of his day. As long as he lived in Sodom, he maintained the character of an upright and holy man, which was quite an, an accomplishment within itself. For example, I know of a preacher who was able to lead a big profane sinner to the Lord simply because the sinner was willing to listen to that preacher and give him a hearing because the preacher himself lived an upright life. The big sinner absolutely refused to listen to all the hypocrites, but he would listen 
to a man of God whose lifestyle lines up with the Bible. Well, the Apostle Peter's commentary is that Lot was vexed by the filthy conversation all around him. And conversation is a favorite word of the Apostle Peter. The Apostle preached not only about behavior, but about how to talk. As I walk down the streets of Britain and America, it seems like I hear the obscenities coming out of every other mouth. And people don't seem to be the least bit ashamed of yelling profanities so that passers-by can hear them. They just don't care. And it's vexing. And Lot was vexed, not just by the conversations, but by the corrupt and licentious conduct of the wicked in whose midst he lived. Lot wasn't a hermit. He lived right smack dab in the middle of the debauchery. And because of Abraham's intercessory prayers, Lot was delivered by angels from the city before fire and brimstone were rained down to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. However, as Lot and his family were being yanked out by angels, Lot's wife famously looked back because apparently she was reluctant to forfeit the city's carnal lifestyle. And as she hesitated, she was firebombed instantly on the spot and crystallized into a pillar of salt. The Bible account reads like the special effects in a horror movie. Today, if you travel down by the Dead Sea, you'll see a pillar that's called Lot's wife, and it immortalizes the biblical account in Genesis 19.23. The Apostle Peter wrote that Lot was vexed by the lawless debauchery of all the people around him. And I wonder, do you feel like that today? However, the very people that we may want to escape from desperately need the Savior. Like Lot, we may be vexed on a daily basis by all the weird things happening in the news. And this word translated vexed is very interesting to me because one English translation of the Bible renders vexed as being in a continual state of torment. So that means Lot was daily tormented by the wicked, unprincipled behavior of his neighbors. Actually, the word vexed is used throughout the Bible in different ways. For example, Psalm 112, it speaks about the wicked being vexed. They'll gnash their teeth and waste away, and the evil desires of the wicked will come to nothing. They'll be angry, it says, and disappointed because they see the righteous vindicated by God. Psalm 78, on the other hand, speaks of how God himself can be vexed. He was vexed continually by the Israelites in the wilderness, despite the fact that he had brought them out of Egyptian slavery through many signs and wonders. But the Bible says that they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel by their whining and kvetching, by their complaining and lack of faith. You see, we have to be careful and ask ourselves, are we doing the same thing today? Are we continually whining to God, complaining, and asking God, can he furnish a table for us in the wilderness of these last days? Can he provide for our needs? Instead of believing him and walking by faith, you have to know that it takes faith, after all, to please God, and he's a rewarder. 
of those who diligently seek him and believe him and all of the promises in this word. Well, the Bible is a book about the faithfulness of God. And despite their disloyalty, God continued to answer the prayers of the Israelites, just as he does today. In the book of Judges in the Old Testament, the Lord continued to raise up deliverers, strong men for the Israelites because they were being vexed and oppressed by their enemies. Samson was one of those deliverers. He was a supernatural strong man appointed by God. But although Samson was strong in body, he was weak when it came to women. Now listen, this, this is fascinating. The Hebrew text says, literally, that the reason why Samson revealed his secret to Delilah was because he became weary. It literally says his soul was shortened to death by being vexed. Wow, that really preaches. Our soul, our life can be shortened if we placate a spirit of vexation. You see, in Judges chapter 16, the temptress Delilah vexed Samson with nagging and prodding day after day, trying to discover the source of his supernatural strength. But he was besotted, and so tragically he broke down and divulged his coveted secret. Now, I learned that the name Delilah is from a Hebrew word meaning to be brought low. The tragedy of Samson and Delilah is recorded in the Bible for our benefit so that we won't fall into the same trap and be brought low. Judges 16.16 16 says that Samson's soul was vexed to death. He was so tormented and vexed that he could hardly bear to live. He wanted to die. And we can be tormented and vexed to the point of preferring death. The enemy of our souls uses all sorts of predicaments and perplexities and tests to bring us low and to try to shorten our lives if he can. So Samson was tormented by two contradictory passions. On the one hand, he had a desire to gratify a vile and deceitful woman, but at the same time he was tormented by the thought of betraying himself and God. Have you ever been in such a predicament? Well, every true believer will be tested in one way or the other. And we need to cry out to the Lord to make a way of escape for us. God promises a way of escape from our temptations if we'll have the presence of mind to ask for a way out. The Bible also uses the verb vexed to describe the torment of demons. Over in the New Testament in Matthew 15, a Canaanite woman came to Jesus and she cried out to him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, you son of David, because my daughter is grievously vexed with a demon. You see, the good news for the last days is that Jesus is still in the healing business. He's alive. Just as he healed that woman's daughter, if you are vexed by any sort of sickness or unclean spirit, he will touch you and heal you if you have the faith to reach out to him. He healed the Canaanite woman's daughter from a distance. But there's no distance in God if you will believe and ask the risen Lord Jesus for his help. He's the same as he was yesterday, and he'll be the same tomorrow. Hallelujah. 
Well, the Bible teaches that a good man of faith or a good woman of faith will have a settled, untroubled spirit. Our minds will be steady, stayed upon God, and so he will keep us calm and undisturbed. The peace of God that passes all understanding will keep our minds and our hearts in Messiah Yeshua. Trusting in the Lord is the best and surest way of establishing our hearts. We have to realize that one reason why God allows evil men to continue before judging them is to test the hearts of the loyal and faithful believers. If your heart is right with God, you'll find yourself pitying and praying for the lost. If you're born again, you'll intercede for people who are especially hateful, wicked, and opposed to God's moral law. There's a particular leader who has caused so many believers to be vexed by his actions and decisions, yet I find myself praying for him because I know what the Bible teaches. I know how terrible his end will be if he doesn't repent. I think of the love and compassion of John Bunyan's wife. You remember Bunyan was the author of the famous book, Pilgrim's Progress, which he wrote in jail. John Bunyan spent 12 years in the Bedford County Jail because of religious persecution. Mrs. Bunyan appealed unsuccessfully to several judges to release her husband. And she said she began to weep, not so much because of the hard hearts of the judges, but because she could envision how terrible their punishment will be on Judgment Day. And in the Gospel of Mark, it says Jesus himself was grieved by the hardness of the people's hearts when they opposed his salvation doctrines. King David wrote in the Psalms that rivers of waters ran down his eyes because men don't keep God's law. Well, it's been rightly said that a rose bush doesn't refuse to grow. It doesn't refuse to smell sweet just because there are ugly weeds in the garden. The rose doesn't complain and refuse to fulfill its mission as a fragrant flower just because there are also weeds in this world. No, a rose is a rose in the midst of weeds. So it follows that a believer is a believer under any and all circumstances whether the world is full of noxious weeds and despite the fact that the churches are full of hypocrites. Despite the vexations that we experience on a daily basis, the man of faith and the woman of faith continue to grow and bear fruit because we're connected to the vine, the Lord. If we're part of the vine, if we belong to the Lord, fruit bearing will just be natural. And one of my favorite verses is Nehemiah 8.10. It says, Don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, joy is God's supernatural tonic for the last days. We can have joy, which is quite different from happiness, even in the midst of sufferings. The joy of the Lord is a sensation of gladness of heart, which the Holy Spirit supernaturally maintains inside of us, regardless of outward circumstances. God's joy has nothing to do with worldly joy. Supernatural joy 
belongs to the people of God. We rejoice because we know that our salvation is sure and God is sovereign over all of the events of the earth. The proper attitude of a believer is gladness of heart because we have already read the end of this book. Because we have faith in God, we know that he's working everything out for the good, for those who love God and who are the called according to his purposes, even in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. The Apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, be saved from this corrupt generation. And 3,000 souls were saved that day. And now I still urge you to be saved from this corrupt generation. We must do what we must do to be saved and to possess the unspeakable joy of the Lord. The method hasn't changed in nearly 2,000 years to be saved. The Bible just says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Why? Because it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you're actually saved. Hallelujah. Well, these are perilous times, but we must press into God for empowerment to reap a great end-time harvest, and to bring in a great ingathering of souls before the Messiah returns to redeem regathered Israel. We have scriptural authority to believe for a great end-time revival and for supernatural sustaining joy, which will be our strength. The prophet Joel said the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all people groups, and that revival began on the day of Pentecost, and it will continue until Jesus returns. Thankfully, the spirit of revival and supernatural joy are present in our gospel meetings. You see, it's our duty to stay in faith and to maintain revival joy. It's our duty to yield to the joy of the Lord. And even though things seem to be deteriorating and looking bad, at least these end-time events encourage us to look up because our redemption is drawing nigh. Recently, I noticed from my photos that I seem to be looking happier as I grow older. And this should be a true progression of the life of a believer. We continually renew ourselves from the fountain of the Lord's joy. It's a river of life that bubbles up from within our spirits by the power of the Holy Spirit. His joy is elevating. And remember that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And you can't make fruit grow. It's the life of the Lord within us that produces the fruit. You see, to bear fruit, a tree needs to be bathed in sunshine. So we can't sit in the dark and be joyful and bear fruit. We must protect the light in our lives. We have to beware of loss of daily communion with God. We have to put Him in reading His Word first in our daily routines. We have to guard against disobedience and rejoice in the Lord always. As Paul said, again, I say, rejoice. There's always something in God that we can be thankful to rejoice about. As a matter of fact, Habakkuk chapter 3, 17 and 18 teaches us that. It says that even if the fig tree doesn't bud and even if there are no grapes on the vine, even if the olive 
crop fails and the fields don't produce food and so forth and there's no sheep in the pen. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. It's this characteristic of true spiritual joy that separates the men from the boys, so to speak. In times of sorrow, we can even rejoice. And that's one of the most attractive qualities of a believer in the Lord. It's remarkable to me, as I've lived and moved amongst the Jewish people, how joy characterizes Jewish worship and liturgy, despite their many sufferings. Pagan worship has always been lifeless and joyless. Even the sternest of the Old Testament prophets gave no reproach to exercising the joy of the Lord. The Jewish people were commanded to rejoice in their God and in their festivals. And it's remarkable to me how the Israelis can be literally surrounded by millions of enemies throughout the Muslim world. Yet, during their religious holidays and on Sabbath days, there's so much joy in singing as if they didn't have a care in the world. Well, my friends, that's a picture of faith and the supernatural joy of the Lord. Oh, how we can learn from our elder brothers in the faith to be joyful in God our Savior. I believe one of the greatest spiritual tonics in the world is to come up to Jerusalem with us during our prayer convocations at Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles, the joy of these Jewish festivals on which our faith in Messiah is founded is tangible and permeates the city. Believe me, such joy in the Lord liberates us from any need for a therapist. Meanwhile, in our ministry, we have a mandate and a goal to preach the gospel in many nations, especially in Asia, and we must do this work quickly because the times of the Gentiles are finishing. But I have to warn you, because of the miraculous rebirth of the nation of Israel, we're living on borrowed time in the church age. Because soon the church age and the times of the Gentiles will be finished. And Jesus of Nazareth will return to claim his joyous bride. As king of the Jews, he will restore the Davidic kingdom to Israel. And God will remain faithful to his covenant with the nation of Israel. In the meantime, we're believing God to win at least a million souls to the Lord in the time remaining before the second coming of Jesus. That's why we covet your prayers. Daniel 11.32 promises that those who know God will be strong and do exploits. So we're looking for sold-out intercessors, and watchmen on the walls. That's why we would like to stay in touch with you via the social media. We also invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive a copy of our free color magazine, Exploits. And at our website, we publish weekly prayer points for watchmen on the walls, as well as notices about our joyous upcoming prayer convocations in the Holy Land. And so until next time, always contending for the faith, praising God for the joy of the Lord, and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom.